Hello, this is Dr. Amy Lindsay, and I'm here to remind you that the information in this podcast is not medical or other professional advice. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. You should not rely on anything you hear as a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional who is familiar with your personal situation. Listening to this podcast may, however, give you a sense of belonging, make you spit take your coffee, realize that DJs can do more than play music, uplift you during a shit day, teach you that sometimes doctors swear too much, or remind you that you are not alone. Do you remember in the movie Jerry Maguire? I always liked that movie. And he has a reckoning. He stays up in a fever dream writing, the, uh, writing his manifesto about how you're supposed to be a sports agent. Right. And, and he can't handle how the industry is run. And he has the fever dream and he sends it out to everybody. And then, of course, wakes up the next morning and everyone's looking at him. And I, what I like about that is so true to form. Like people are, he's at a whatever, he's in the office or a hotel, I don't remember what. Or, and he's running into his colleagues. I think they were traveling to a thing. And they're all like, hey, yeah, good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see them just like, oh, that guy's fucked. That's just, oh, my God, that guy's day is limited because that's not how you do it. Right. And he said it out loud, like in a, maybe in that industry, it's nuts, but he says it out loud. Of course, in the end, it's all about focusing on one player and being more dedicated. And he finds his love and, and becomes a father. And I mean, (laughs) there's more to it, but that general idea that this is not the way you do it really speaks to me whenever I see it. That's right. I think that there are industries built a certain way and it works for some people some of the time. And anyone who comes in and is a disruptor or anyone who comes in and has a new way of doing things, they're often shunned by the group, right? Yep. And I find it fascinating. It's not necessarily a generational thing. You know, I think sometimes we think, oh, the younger generation, they're naive. They don't know what they're doing. I I don't necessarily believe that it just is generational. I think it's just someone with a new idea or someone with a different way of doing things. And I think it's because it, people feel like it threatens, threatens something, threatens their career. You know, the whole thing's going to fall apart (laughs) and it's just not, (laughs) it's not, it's not. Um, but I find it fascinating. And, you know, in our interview coming up, we talk about it a little bit with the music industry and how bands are supposed to do things and how the music industry works. And clearly, if anyone's paid attention over the last few decades, the music industry has vastly changed. Yeah, we're going to talk to Stone Gossard and Regan Hagar, who are uh, starting, restarting, have restarted their record label, Loose Groove Records, and uh, they started it back in the 90s. And if you look at a band like Pearl Jam, they time and time again, do it differently than mm-hmm. everybody else. They, they really do. And guess what? They have longevity. They're still playing massive shows and they get to do things like this. And so it sort of inspired us because we run into this all the time in our lives. I mean, if you even look at podcasts, you're not supposed to just sit here and talk. We're supposed to get to the theme music and that's just not what we're going to
See, Amy, that's how you do podcasts. You <laughs> you open them up, you talk about some shit, you have some, hey, here's what's coming up, and then you have some theme music. I'm doing it like it's supposed to be done, but that's not true. We do it a little differently here on The Doctor and the DJ, even doing a podcast. And um, I know we've both run into this time and time again, this idea of that's not how you do it. I don't know why we're so committed to being homogeneous. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I do think it, it mm-hmm. you hear me talk about safety and evolution and the human brain and all this stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> all the stuff things. Um, but I think it, it is true. Like our brain is scanning for safety at all times. So if you wonder what's going on with you, that's what's going on with you. Your brain is scanning for safety at all times and there's safety in groups. And so we're always trying to be part of a group. But honestly, the genius and the most incredible um, inventions or the most incredible businesses or the most incredible ideas come out of people thinking differently. When I started doing radio, yeah, I when I started, I, um, I'll never forget, I was openly hazed on the air by a few DJs, which is really weird when I look back at it. And they were on the like super indie Jack Black from High Fidelity, snobby, that's not how you do it. This is how you do it. You know, like I remember showing up in my, I went to the very first Foo Fighters show. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. And I had my, I went, I did an overnight show and I had my Foo Fighters hat that I bought and a shirt and I had the CD. I bought the CD so I could play it on the show. And the DJ on before me who... <laughs> Man, that guy sucks. He's like, oh, looks like John Richards is here. I'm sure he's going to play a bunch of this Foo Fighters crap and other rock you don't need to hear. I mean, it was like, wow, dude. You know what I did, right? I got on and played four or five Foo Fighters song right away and then right into some Nirvana and other rock. I did the whole show in rock in his tribute. But I, that was happening, right? And then I would be not commercial enough like I wasn't DJing the way you're supposed to be a DJ on the air I was talking about things you're not supposed to talk about so on the other side of it I was doing that wrong that's not the way you do it so I kept running into this I'm not public radio enough and I'm not commercial radio guy enough because at the time the station was like a jumping off ground like you would go there to get a real job I wasn't doing that I was trying to make the most of what I was doing at the station and thought it had a future and so I would get these well, you're never going to make it in radio comments on this side. And then you're not indie enough on that side. And I, and I realized I have to do this my way. I think they wrote a song about that. Um, and to this day, I will get people telling me that's not how you do this. People who have no, no history in radio except they listen to it a lot or they, ha- they just have an opinion. They, the, the John, this is not how you do that. But it's such a small, loud minority compared to the people who appreciate that you are doing it this way. And it's hard not to hear those haters like, what is your, the analogy always bring up the crabs trying to get out of the bucket. It feels that way. Like I'm trying to get out of this thing and you keep pulling me back down to tell me that's not how you do it from all sides. Yes. I mean, we could go on a tangent for a thousand years on this topic because we do feel safe in whatever group we feel like we belong to. Mm. And I think it was magnified in the pandemic. We immediately shored up to safety within our groups. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so you can talk about it on like social group level, but you need to talk, we need to talk about it also on like career 
and ideas and industries level. You know, I could say, you know, I'm a disruptor in the medical industry, but I also have a lot of respect for conventional medicine. I'm not, you know, I think it's an and both situation. And a lot of people cannot accept an and both mentality, right? Like people really, really, really try to create a dichotomy. People really try to make um, these binary um, associations. And so we have to ask ourselves, what, why are we doing that? What's going on here? And it's because we feel threatened. You know, just look at politics. People feel threatened. And so people push themselves to the, the far corners of every side, of either side. And, and there's, there's not a willingness for empathy, curiosity, rethinking, conversation, all of that. I mean, we brought it up about sexuality. People feel threatened. Oh yeah. This yeah. this is not how it is. This is this is how it's done, and this is who your partner should be, and this is how you should have a relationship. And people feel threatened, right? People th feel threatened, and and I think because okay, stay open minded. That's the whole point. If you have built your life on something, and You've done it because you've made certain choices and maybe you made those choices based on safety or approval from other people. Then something comes along that is a little triggering because it's, it's disrupting that safety and approval that you've held on to for your whole life. Instead of pushing it away, that's the moment to lean into it. That's the moment to be asking yourself, why is this, why is this, why am I feeling so defensive right now? Why am I being triggered by this? And you might discover that there's something in you that sees a truth in it. And you might discover that. And it's time to, instead of, you know, fight it and get defensive, just take a deep breath and maybe calm your body down and stay curious. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of people, well, it's twofold. They, they see it in other people. We're all guilty of it. I'm sure I'm guilty of it mm -hmm. where I look at someone and oh, that's not how you do it. You know, the minute you do that or that's not the way you do it or how do why do they get to do it that way? Right. And then I catch myself and that mindset helps if you're mm -hmm. aware of it. And the other is in yourself. Right. So how are you ever going to break out of whatever it is? So if you're, you're listening right now and you have an idea or a dream or it could be anything. It doesn't have to be career. It could be the way you parent. It could be, you know, I know, I, I know people who have up and left uh, the sort of normal society with their kids. Like you go to school and you da da da. But I know people who've traveled with their children or like homeschooled while driving the country. And, you know, the pandemic brought this on a lot of people. And a lot of us would look at them like they're nuts. Like, well, you don't do it. And as soon as you hear that, like, well, why not? Have we not explored this? Are they not having an adventure of a lifetime? Will they for, remember forever? I don't know. But but my first thought is, you know, I I, re, I realize I resist. Like, oh, I, I know I'd be judgy and say, well, the kids are going to be this or that. They're probably going to be awesome <laughs> because I'm jealous of that. That sounds awesome to me. I mean, I could probably last like three months. Like, Mike, please bring back a teacher. I don't know what I'm doing. But the travel part's nice. But I, I think it's both, you know, it's in yourself for your own things you want to do and how you want to live. And then it's first thing first, though, man, stop judging the others for doing it a certain way and being successful. And almost when they fail, being happy. 
see, because people fail. I fail. You know, I've tried things and they haven't worked. I'm like, okay, well, we'll try again. But I see joy sometimes in my failure and others. Like, okay, get back in the bucket, friend. Nice try. Right. Um, you know, we talk about this a little bit in our interview, but the whole residency and intern process in the medical world is just vicious. It's vicious. And we don't ask ourselves why we're doing that. Yeah. Why are we doing that to young baby doctors? Yeah. And part of that hazing is, well, that's what I had to do. Right. (laughs) And there's, and, and you can see this in any industry. I'm talking about medicine right now, but you could see this in any industry where people treat their interns or the new employees and they really, um, there's this attitude that, well, I had to do that. So therefore you have to do that. Why are we doing that? And now let's not uh, mistake this for hard work and sacrifice because, you know, I think we all think that the younger generation or the new employees or something are not going to work hard and sacrifice. (laughs) And so we're trying to make sure they do. But why are we passing down these abusive paradigms to people when it didn't work for us? Like it made us miserable. Why are we not rethinking this? You'd have to have a fundamental change in your industry because I think that a lot of people would think that way. Like, well, why do you get to? Why do you get to not suffer I felt that that way. Now, I run my own practice now. I'm the boss of me now. (laughs) And that comes with immense responsibility, and that's a very different place to be. And it's a different animal of responsibility and hard work. But I remember feeling like I was being punished by the by some of my mentors constantly constantly punished constantly berated and treated really poorly constant it was constant not that they were trying to make me a better doctor and lift me up they wanted to punish me <laughs> because they were punished uh, yes absolutely and i think that if if you look at any uh systems of hierarchy you can find that. I'm not saying all systems of hierarchy have that at all. There are some incredible leaders who know that bringing people up and knowing how to do that is incredible. Um, I, by the way, I'm reading this book about Netflix and about the, the structure over there. And they have a culture of feedback. And so if you haven't checked out this book, I highly recommend it. There were It's in the glory days of Netflix. Glory days of Netflix. <laughs> they've, had, they've stumbled no, but a bit. It's regardless of what you think of Netflix. The point is is that everyone at every level is asked for feedback. And so you'll have like somebody on, you know, an sort of entry level job participating in feedback to the higher ups, to this, you know, CEOs and the partners and yeah. And aren't they an example of Doing it differently? Yes. <laughs> while everyone else, we, while we were all wandering the halls and back in the olden days of, of Blockbuster, like they did it differently. That's not the way you do it. And, while, and the, these other companies just stood still. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of Adam Grant's work too, his book, uh, oh, yeah. Think Again, is brilliant. Yeah. Um, but we need to be willing to rethink because that is absolutely our job as a species is to problem solve. Yeah. You know, when, when, when this is, I'll be honest, when we, the station I'm at, um, we went to a paid internship program out of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. What's my first thought? 
I didn't get paid. I volunteered at that station for what, four years or something, and then barely made a living. You know, I immediately went to old man Richard's mode. Like I didn't, I didn't get paid. And this, I did that voice. Like I was in the South. <laughs> I, was, I was just walking through the fields and I didn't get paid. And anyway, like my first thought, that was my first, and I, and I, I stopped myself and I, rem- and, and reminded myself, I had to have a conversation because what did this change point out to me? Well, I could do that. I'm a privileged white male who yeah. could volunteer his time. As much as I was broke and poor and lived off student loans and none of that. You had a safety net. I had a safety net. Exactly. But in my mind, no, I didn't. I'm suffering. Well, people who are not me, white males with privilege, don't necessarily have volunteer time available, Right transportation into the center of the city, which is very expensive. So financially, people aren't in a position without a safety net to volunteer their time. And what you realize when you make change like this is we're going to have the future of the station come in here. And it's not just going to be people who look like me who are privileged to be able to. And and it was, I went from like a quick, oh my God, boy, I didn't do it that way too. I mean, within a couple of minutes, like this is fundamental change. This is great. And, and someone said, well, we're going to, we're going to disrupt, for instance, like the other public stations and the other nonprofits that don't do this. And boy, did that make me happy when I heard that. Then it became even better because if you do disrupt, then they, they have to answer the question. Why aren't you doing this? You need to be doing this as well. And so places established, even like the place I'm at, have to continue to do that. They have to continue to see like, well, why are we doing it this way? Why are we not changing? Why are we not making, you know, why, why are we not trying these things? Because if you don't, then you're just, you're going to, it's, it's, it's the blockbuster thing. You know, they, they just didn't change. It's Blackberry, you know, I'm, this is the way it's done. We're not going to change. We're going to have these stupid buttons on the phone. Yes. So what I think is driving it is like I mentioned, safety and approval yeah, and control that we want to be in control of our environments. And that includes our families and our home life. That includes our jobs and our careers. We want to feel like we have a sense of control. And I think when you relax that a little bit and you allow other people to have different ideas and to take some of the work and do some, something different with it, it doesn't feel safe, <laughs> but that's when some of the best shit happens. That's when some of the best ideas happen when we let go and allow other people, regardless of our perception of their competence or our perception of their experience. Uh, never thought I'd be alive in a time like this. The country that I come to know and love is gonna miss. Can't seem to figure out the equation, the separation. They beguiled with persuasion, the coins they make it. Little man became a hustler just to get the bacon. He's super bright, but no father inside his soul is aching. Taught to survive, mama provides, but our heart is breaking. The things done to that black queen will leave your spirit shaking. War is on the rise, we've forgotten how to win it. Tins in my sister's eyes, racism is so systemic. Begging mercy from God as we traverse this pandemic. Them rosy Gucci glasses got all of our eyes tinted. To all the frontline workers who witnessed it all. To the families who suffered loss and had no one to call. I urge you not to quit because this is the time to stand. So if you with me, lift your hands. I choose to live.
Throughout the podcast, we are listening to bands on the Loose Groove record label. I've been a fan of Loose Groove records since they started back in the early 90s. Stone Gossard and Regan Hagar, friends uh, who play together in Brad, are releasing music from Brad. Sean Smith, a friend of uh, mine and a friend of many here in the Seattle community, passed away a few years back, and uh, he was in Brad for years, and um, he was also uh, did some guest vocals in Fires. You'll be hearing more in that interview. And Painted Shield is Stone Gossard's side project. They're putting that out. And at the end of the podcast, we have this band, Tiger Cub. They're out of the UK. They're doing their first ever North American tour. They're part of Loose Goove Records. It's just a really great story and a great release. And uh, they also have new releases coming up. Painted Shield, as I mentioned, Brittany Davis and uh, a few others. So uh, stay tuned for the end of the podcast for a new Tiger Cub song. show a couple days a week but now it's for different reasons not pandemic i just don't the bridge is down i can't i can't kevin and i are just like nope yeah no. it makes sense well i've been listening <laughs> i've been listening to you lately i've the uh, 1986 a couple of days ago it's just great i was just oh. like wow, 86 Man. coming back at me so i'm having hey, so much fun listening when it's those when you guys are doing those years it's just it's so fun to kind of put that stuff in context, you know, where it's like all these great songs. You're like, wow, that's so long ago. And I love this song. I haven't heard it in ages. This last 1986 one did something. I got a similar message. You know, you get a, a, yeah. a bigger sample size. And what we keep hearing is I keep thinking like this, the, like that was the best year or, or yeah, yeah there's not going to be anything in that year. And a ton of listeners said this, like, oh my God, like every year ends up being this, this sort of eye opening and, and transformative years. And when you are able to have, you know, the different voices we have on the air and then be able to mix like, oh, this happened in hip hop yeah. and oh, this happened. They're expecting this like new wave eighties only, I think, or, or maybe, you know, and they just, it's amazing to see even people who are, you know, I've had people write me like, Oh, I was born after 86 and man, this is pretty cool. These old things. <laughs> like, oh man. Well, I think there's something, I mean, there's something to it. It's like, you guys are hitting something right now because it's like multiple perspectives and you are focused on a year. It's like bringing out this, like, you know, every once in a while, those radio stations will come on. That'll just be like sort of throwback radio stations that you can listen to it for like a month and it's amazing. And then you got to turn it off, you know, because it just hits yes. the same note over and over. But this is like you guys doing this big stretch and really focusing yeah. on years. I think it's there's something to it that's fucking great. Well, I love it. I, I, I appreciate it. I came up with that. So I appreciate you. Saying oh, yeah. That good I, job. I, I, yeah. Yeah. And it, then for the really fundraising working. real quick for the fundraising, then you do a countdown of the top 
uh, songs of the last yeah. 50 years. And then in the fall, we're going to do best albums. Because the trick is you can raise money. You just have to make sure you keep people tuned in. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll understand yeah, yeah. this. And you just you have to help them out. And if there's yeah. a countdown, it's like old, you're going back to like the old school way of radio. Like, Oh, you keep them tuned in. You do the count, you know, and stairway it's, to yeah. heaven isn't going to win. It just yeah. isn't at KX. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's tickling I, some part of my mammalian lizard oh, brain. It's making me go. Yeah, yes, I appreciate yes, it. I need to know what's going on. Uh, okay. Then that's working. All right. Yeah. I'm going to do an official introduction here, okay. here on the doctor and the DJ podcast. We have stone Gossard and Regan Hagar. Uh, they played in a, a one of my all time favorite local. Band. I, sh- I, sh- I don't know. I guess played play. I mean, Brad, there is music and, and Sean is gone and uh, I don't want to say anything in past tense, but Brad, uh, I I heard Buttercup was one of my first songs I ever played as a DJ wow. on the radio. Crazy. And Thank you for playing it. Yeah. That's amazing. It, it was <laughs> I late night. That. I did an I did an overnight show and I had seen y'all play when I moved here and uh, I just loved I, I just loved Sean and I loved the band yeah. and, and and again, it's one in the morning when I was first starting. I think it's my first show, actually. I, you were one, on my playlist. Now that it's, I didn't plan on telling you this, this just popped into my dumb brain. Um, but Buttercup, to this day, I play on my show, yeah. among other brand songs. But and uh, and we want to talk about the record label. I am a I am a, a big fan of what Loose Groove has done in the past, and they're here for uh, the present and certainly for the future. And uh, that brings up a lot of subjects for us as well. Yeah. Um, just sort of talking about everyone on this podcast right now is doing multiple things and trying different things and supporting their community in different ways. So I thought a really good conversation to have with both of you. But first off, um, we'll start you with Regan. How are you? Um, how are things? How how have you been through this? You know, we ask people how they've been doing over the last year. There's so much in this world right now. Um, a lot of loss, uh, a lot of hard times. How are you doing? I, I'm doing well. I'm settled into COVID lifestyle here in Ballard. And I, like you, don't want to leave my uh, my house or my area very often. The Brad and the Loose Groove has been um, going well. There is a, a Brad final kind of record that we've been working on. So that's been um, a bittersweet. It's been a joy and it's been uh, sad. Yeah. Uh, and Luzku has been really fantastic. You know, but before we were started this, I was just trying to show you my Tiger Cub shirt. I'm just so excited about our new signing Tiger Cub. And so we have a lot of stuff going and we're staying busy in our houses. <laughs> and we get to talk to each other day on, every day on the phone. That's the most, we have a reason to like, go, <laughs> oh, hey, what, what about this? What do you, what do you think? Well, I was going to say, Stone, is it is Loose Groove and, and you, um, it, is it part of that? Just like, man, I, I want to connect with my friends. I want to connect with musicians. I, I just, I, I'm feeling that right now. Does does the last two years have anything to do with that? It's just kind of keeping that dream alive in terms of like, can you do something with your friends that's fun and that you're, you know, you're feeling joyous about? And then is there a way that that turns into some kind of like, you know, job or something consistent you can do that's, you know, and, and, you know, Regan's been such an enormous influence on my life, musically, artistically, you know, our friendship has been so uh long and and we both had kids and we both have you know and we did loose groove and then we sort of kind of came back together to kind of do do some more and 
it, it just it's the vehicle that allows us to like be connected all the time so it's a dual purpose kind of thing and we get to you know we get to sign bands like you know this band tiger cup who we're just thrilled about and Brittany davis and and work on um painted shield and all this stuff but it kind of just comes down to you know us still you know talking about art like you know what's what's cool what what's a way to do this that's you know um that feels right to us and and even helping with these bands in terms of just like hopefully just being a calming voice saying hey you know we're gonna make a lot of records we don't gotta do anything huge right now but just have fun and be good friends with each other and take care of each other and and um you know that sort of advice that you don't always get from a record company you know it's 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 fun to be to play that role of like hey we're not you know we we think we can succeed because we've had success but you know mainly it's you know be good to each other yeah, uh, Amy and I were just on on the station um, on KXP with our addiction and recovery uh, day of programming, um, talking about and, and something Amy brought up was the uh, on the show was musicians and just their ability uh, to be healthy uh, and and make a living. And there's this I don't know if y'all saw it, but uh, this band Wednesday I've been playing. They they were down at South by and and they posted their costs and what they were paid at South by. Yeah. And, and what struck me was that they had put, they stayed in a hotel room and, 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 and that's what people harped on. Like, how dare you spend a few hundred dollars yeah. on a hotel room when you have a perfectly good van to sleep in yeah, for yeah. nights on end? And yeah. this is the way you do it. And how dare yeah. you? And I just, it really struck me. Cause I don't, I think I had that thought like, well, that's yeah, yeah. just, you know, it's like, Amy, it's like medical school. That's just how you do it, Amy. You don't get paid any money and you work 80 hours, right? I'll tell you what, that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it is. So this idea that we're supposed to do something a certain way because that's how it's done. Well, how it's been done in the past has really not been a good way to do things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I'm always asking, why do we do that? Why can't we mentor the next generation or mentor the next group of musicians or, you know, baby doctors and residents who um, are trying something. Why can't we give them what we wish we always had? Why yeah. can't we mentor them the way we wanted to be mentored instead of just continue to pass down that sort of yeah. toxic idea? <laughs> yeah. Stone, do you have it in your, do you, do you have it in your head? Like, I, I, I... I'm assuming no. I, I I know I think I know you well enough to know you're not this person. But do you have it in your head like, well, that's how we do it. That's how we did it back in the day. That's how you're gonna do it now. Or do you do you, do you should they be a little more taken care well, of? Well, I think I think with doctors, I mean, I think the residence thing is full hazing. I mean, it's just like they that was like built into that system in a way that's just brutal. I mean, and horrible for patients thinking that you're having somebody treat you that hasn't slept in. You know, oh, hours. and not even making minimum wage yeah, because I mean, you're still you're still learning. Yeah, you're no, still that, like considered a student. Cool. Yeah, With, you know, rock and roll. You're making it up as you go along. You, you're in charge. You, you know, you don't necessarily have a boss. You know, necessarily. I mean, you can sign a record deal and you can agree to a tour. That you know. Rock and roll is different. I mean, I think I'm sure all of us have said, yeah, we jump, you know, you got to jump in a van. You got to kind of, you know, I think that that still is part of it. But we're also saying, hey, d 
don't take that. If you need three weeks off, don't take that tour. You know, there's no, the end zone, there is no end zone. So just take your time with this and make it a life. This is a lifetime. This is your life. You got to, you know, find the right balance of art and comfort and home and whatever it is, you know, the money side of it. It's like, I think that trying to figure out how to help bands make a living, it's ultimately right now, it's about your live show, you know? I mean, that's, you know, if you can build your own, you know, then you have a business and people come into your business and you can sell them things and play a show and that's yours, you know, the streaming and the digital and all that stuff is is a big part as as you get bigger. But uh, for smaller bands, it's, you gotta figure out how to, and there's a million ways to do it. There's a lot of people doing it really smart out there right now. Yeah, it's a it's a brave new world out there, and I and I hope the artists see that support at least in the form of insurance or you know yeah. uh, taking care of mental health. We I mean you you both know very well. I've seen so many I'm sure of your friends and and family and and colleagues out there just suffering and not getting the help they needed. And um, when you have this record label and you have you have some uh, up and coming bands, you have some older bands, you have side projects as well. You treat them all very differently. Everyone has a different experience, but are you taking that, you know, knowledge and, and, and making that part? I mean, you said you are supporting the bands the best you can, but do you, do you have advice for them? Are you a label that, that, that sees a new way of doing this? I think that's where we're different from uh, many others is our personal experience and trying to share that and share our network um, that we've built with them immediately. That's like what, what we have to offer. We're, we're not, um, we're not a major. So it's a small label, which, you know, means small budgets for everything we do. So we're trying to help these bands get to that place. Um, we aren't that place. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Um, I wanted to mention that Brad record that you brought up as well. I was going to bring it up. Can you tell me a little bit about it? And for those who aren't familiar with, with Brad, it was uh, Sean Smith was in this band, you guys as well. And um, Sean passed away uh, a devastating loss to a lot of us. I considered Sean a friend and, and it was quite a surprise. And I just the other day, again, said on the air, I, I was playing uh, The Daybrings from y'all. And uh, still get a lot of requests for that one, by the way. Very, very needed song right now. Um I, it was just one of those friends and, and, and musicians I, 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 I think is still around. Like, I'm going to run into him. Um, I would run into Sean in the weirdest. I ran into the zoo. The, not, the best time I've had with Sean was running into him at Woodland Park Zoo. We, we, we had a very nice day on accident together uh, at the zoo. I just, I always ran into, I don't know. He's just one of those guys I'd always run into. And he's one of the first musicians who really understood what uh, I was doing on the air. So he's missed. And and tell me a little bit about, it's got to be a little bittersweet to, to put this music together. And what is this music? Jeez. Uh, well, Brad, you know, has always been this um, gathering of us friends. Um, and, you know, every four or five years, we try and make records. So we we're kind of on schedule. Um, and we're delayed now. Uh, so this music feels old already and it's not out um so it's hard uh to listen to for me it was super hard last year we just couldn't do anything um and sean was you know uh a bit of a a sage for us keeping us in line and (laughs) there's a a real um contrast between us all 
uh, in that band, which really made for the best results, I think. And it, um, we had, I wouldn't call it fighting, but there was constant, um, dynamic tension. Yeah. I mean, it was really good for, for the, for the final stuff, but we'd love to take each other's ideas and then try and move into a place that was unexpected or Sean was very good about taking, um, particularly things that the, if we call it the band or whatever that, you know, Sean would show up at night and we'd come in the morning and it'd be completely different, um, which is really exciting. But I digress. Stone, what would you say about the new record? That's one of Sean's superpowers was his irreverence to this sort of uh, traditional musical approaches. You know, a lot of people, really good players, you know, you someone will write a song and they really know how to get inside this song and really like explore all the sort of harmonic nuances of what's there and sort of stay within that range. And, you know, we would do we would do a jam and Sean might just grab the B section of that jam, loop it, and then just play a completely different guitar. <laughs> and it would actually be amazing because he, in a sense, he would kind of spread the field. He would like, let that thing be that thing. All of a sudden he would show you a whole nother side of like what it could be. But every, you know, sometimes it didn't work. And sometimes it was like, well, that just turned into a mess. But when it really worked, it was stunning, like how much more depth and sort of three-dimensionality he could get out of a piece where, you know, we're all like, here's the parts, here's the thing, here's the groove, you know. Um, he just was – he wasn't afraid to just throw something on it and was really good at just magically sort of manifesting things like that and and being more kind of in the moment as a singer than any – I've ever experienced in terms of, you know, that vocal going down and what it represented to him, even if, you know, to some, you know, somebody else's ear, my ear, like, Oh, it sounds like a great start, you know, like, and then you'd listen again and kind of go, wait, that's it. That's just, it just, you know, and he really was just in this place where when he felt it and, and, and it came out, it just, that became the thing, you know, and it, it was a great lesson because, I'm the opposite. I tend to want to try things again and, you know, dilly dally and wait. And, you know, he's, he just really knew how to be in the moment. That, that kind of describes or explains why he's one of my favorite people to, to ever cover a song. Like it talk about making it your own. Yeah. Uh, when he would cover a song, it was like, well, that's a Sean Smith song. Now. Yeah, yeah. That's sorry, Prince. That's not yeah. yours anymore. <laughs> yeah. I walked, I walked into the croc once and he was, it was the first time I'd heard him cover Purple Rain. I'd heard him since then, but I, I just walked into the room and he's in Purple Rain and I wept like a baby and walked yeah, out of the room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing that. Um, I also want to mention Fires really quick, that band. Awesome. I want a quick plug because Fires was featured on this podcast recently and, and, and Sean's vocals showed up on there. I love that record. I just, it's like a, it, it, it I mean this in the best way. It's like a record that was made 20 years ago um, and just suddenly appeared and sounds so good right now, but it has that like Northwesty. I can't explain. I'm terrible explaining music, but yeah. it, <laughs> does that make really? sense? God, it felt like an artifact for me in a good way. You know, that, that band is a, is a lot of fun. And, and Ty Willman is the main singer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we've been, uh, doing stuff similar to Brad in the sense that we get go in the studio and Dave place is the main songwriter for that band. And, um, we, we, we just do it over time, 
and there was a period where Ty was kind of busy with um, the hula bees and had kind of exited. And Sean was really interested in what we were doing and came to the studio with us and produced so much magic so fast. He jumped on a bunch of songs. So he's on three or four of that record, um, High Tide, which because of the whole vinyl thing, it's literally been in production for over a year, which is insane, but it's going to be here. (laughs) And then there's a follow-up record that's also finished that has even more Sean involved because he came in kind of later and we had a lot of stuff built for that first record, but because of these delays and making vinyl, two records are done for that group. (laughs) And um, he's really present on the next one, which is exciting, right? There's all the Sean that's, you know, the Brad records in the 11th hour, we're, we're like final mixing. Fires is like in production. The the following Fires, will, you know, we're hoped to put into production soon because it'll take a year to get made. It's like the it's like the Bowie passing. There's just more and more music. And, it is and kind just, of weird like that, right? Because there's so much in existence. And I know that uh, Sean's estate, essentially, they, they, they have a lot of plans for a lot of Sean's solo. There's just so much music that he left. Yeah. Um, I expect to be hearing new Sean Smith for uh, at least a few years to come, which is nice. Vinyl, it'll be a few years after that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Three years for the digital and even and five years for vinyl. I, I was thinking a bit about, um, uh, you know, how you've, are hoping to help younger bands or bands starting out. And um, you're, you also put out this, um, uh, what was it called? The Living. Uh, a band that everyone should know about <laughs> that I got really, I didn't. So I was really young, but I got into that a bit. And I think Duff McKagan has brought up on this podcast, like uh, every other podcast. I don't know what, I don't know what it is, um, but it just keeps coming. We should interview. Um, should. But, but, but the, I thought about the living. So 1982, if for people who are not familiar, get familiar. Um, this is Dub McKagan and Greg Gilmore and just a lot of people who ended up being in other bands here in Seattle. But what, what really struck me was that the influence they had on you all and other people in the Seattle scene. And I, and I think of others, were there others at that time? Like you got, you're now that like stone, you're, you know, people are going to look at you and be like, this is a guy he's been in this band for years. Um, I look up to him. I'm going to listen to him. Were there people like that back in those early days that, that make you think of yourself? Did you ever think you would be that person, sort of the elder statesman of music? Um, I never thought I'd be an elder statesman of anything, honestly. <laughs> but as far as like that, that's, that's what's so fun about hearing that record, Greg playing that for us and knowing that that record hadn't been heard. And then to hear all these songs, lyrics and music written by a 17 year old Duff McKagan and Todd Fleischman, who's, you know, was in, you know, you saw everywhere, you know, full on punker, just like, you know, for me coming into the scene two years later, that record had already been made. And Duff was in 10 minute warning at that point with Paul Soldier, who was like the guy for me, like, you know, had been in the farts and like incredible guitar player, like so cool and slinky and, you know, Johnny Thunders meets, you know, whatever, just like so, um, and sexually ambiguous and, you know, laying on, you know, playing on his back and, you know, 
all the things that just made it so amazing to go see bands at that time um being involved in that record and being able to go out and talk about like duff is <laughs> if anyone you know started the seattle scene it was you know a duff mckagan as much as anyone because he was able to do that and then mosey on down to california and then do something mega with guns and roses but you hear the parts about Guns N' Roses that you like are kind of the that's kind of the Duff McKagan elements, you know. It's just like it's not the glam. It, it's it's like the it's the punk toughness, you know, that you hear in, in Guns N' Roses. That's it's really of. illustrated, you guys, in the the fact that now there's three ten minute warning records that are out from the three stages of the band, and that you know they have Blaine from the Farts in the first one, and then they transition into Steve and on vocals, and then with Duff, and that third version dust in full control and it sounds like early uh, guns and roses it does yeah that alone would get me to listen to it just that description that you know who we were talking to was the other day interviewing was kim warnick that's oh, yeah. what we were yeah. talking so about. She, amazing she was right there a happy birthday you just had a birthday and yep. and, Brock. yeah right she won't do it because she just said she's the laziest person alive i think is how she said it but i was like kim if you don't write that book or have that yeah. history i i want her history I want yeah. her version of what happened here in this town oh, more yeah. than anyone else's, right? Totally. <laughs> she had a Duff McKagan story. She just started. I didn't, we didn't even bring him up. It just yeah. popped up. And then, yeah. and then we talked about the Seattle weather for the next hour and it was pretty great. Um, so that, that it keeps making me think of like where we are in Seattle and, and the history here. I mean, how do you, how do you, how you deal with it? I, I guess that's my question. How, how are you with it? Like, I feel pretty good about moving on and things change. Do you, do you, do you get, but I get sad about some things. I'm just, I'm wondering what your emotions are around, or should we have emotions around what happened here and how the city is very different uh, now? Uh, I, I don't know. That's a, there's a lot to unpack in that question, but uh, I mean, I guess what I would say is that this morning, I, Steve Turner asked me to write the, the foreword to his book that's coming out. So all I do is go back in time at this point and talk about like, well, fuck Steve Turner. He was the one, you know, I met him in high school and he said, you know, play shitty fucking guitar and don't, you know, don't listen to what he says and don't take lessons and fucking, you know, and, and, and be in a band and, and listen to old garage rock and which was great advice. You know? Good thing you listen. Yeah, it was it, it was the his Steve Turner's impression on me was that you know as a 15 year old never having played an instrument or done anything, that was the kind of motivation to go. Oh well, if you're going to put it like that, then that sounds fun. I'll do that. I'll you know if I don't have to be that good, if I can just like mess around and I get to do it with my friends, and that maybe being crappy is okay or might even make it better in some ways, you know. That was a revelation. So I love that aspect of Seattle. And I love the aspect of just that every, you, everything that you need is right in front of you. You know, you don't have to go to L.A. to find the next big thing. Or that was what people were doing or talking about that were not succeeding was, you know, leaving or trying, you know, whereas here it was just like, well, there's shows tonight and just you get no you know somebody with a guitar and you just you get together and drink a bunch of beer and a couple of riffs and so I, I love that part of it and then to be part of it or have anything to do with it I just feel like the luckiest guy in the world you know basically 
We were in the sweet spot. <laughs> Completely lucky that I, I'm just, you know, yeah. on every possible <laughs> level. I'm the luckiest guy in rock. They used to say that, you know, they used to, back in the day, that there was jokes about Michael Anthony being the luckiest guy in rock because Eddie Van Halen was so great. And then, of course, yeah. Michael Anthony. Michael Anthony is fucking fantastic. He's an incredible <laughs> musician and an incredible background vocalist and sh shredding. Just, I mean, unbelievable. So I consider myself to actually be the luckiest man in rock. Ned. Well, some would say you have some skills. I mean, I could be then say, hey, that's Stone Gossard. He's, he's yeah. all right. Yeah. I got, I got a D chord. I got a G chord. I can go. Nah, 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 nah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we talk about the side projects too. I mean, the, the thing about Pearl Jam is, is you guys are always doing other stuff. I, I believe firmly like in our longevity and our happiness, we have to try other things. And, and, you know, it, it comes full circle to this label too, doing other things, you know, Eddie's made a record and has yeah. made Motley Crue mad. And you have Jeff <laughs> building skate parks and you have, so he's doing something right. And Mike's doing, you know, um, yeah. Mike's got his art and his music and, yeah. and all that. And he's so involved in the community and that's, you know, you guys have really taken a responsibility, you know, all the, the, the shows for the homeless and, and it just seems like there's a lesson to be learned there. Did you, always want to try other things and, and not just go down one path or was it just being in a band, a big band in this world? Did, did it, did you decide, look, I need a break. I got to do a thing. What, what is the mentality in the band? Just try everything. <clears throat> I think it, for, when you're trying to succeed, you're just thinking about doing one thing, you know, for a while. And then if you do succeed, then, you know, you can eat, everyone can eat, just keep putting all their energy into that one thing, which can be maybe problematic because there's just, there's not that much to do or if if it's competing too much then it just is just a fight you know so i guess you know traditionally our favorite bands probably didn't let each other do side projects i remember thinking <laughs> <laughs> there was some article about you know how mick jagger was mad at keith richards for doing the expensive winos or something it's like you know 30 years into their career keith goes <laughs> off and makes and it's like oh they're having tension about it it's like mick doesn't like it it's like I mean, that's, that's a little weird, you know? <laughs> so we tried to do the opposite of that. Which old is men like, even arguing. Even if it does feel a little weird, if somebody goes off and does something, you just have to kind of just embrace it and kind of go, yeah, good for the whole, you know? Um, we're just going to, if we're just pestering Ed every day to play our songs, it's like, he can't take it. It's like, we've got to go. <laughs> Everybody's got to go out and. Ed, I got another one for you. I got this one's great. <laughs> I love it. I got to play it for you right now. It's gonna be. He wants you all doing side projects. He's like, just <laughs> just leave me alone. I got my own songs. <laughs> Completely. Amy, <laughs> hey, we talk about this though. Like you, you, you know, it's healthy, right? It's it's. Oh well, a band is a marriage, right? Yeah, and definitely. I, I don't have to tell you all that, um, but. You know, you were telling me the Keith Richards, Mick Jagger thing, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty codependent. Like, yeah. do they know they're in a codependent relationship? Yeah, totally. like, do they do they know they need to go to counseling? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I'm just immediately hey, well, like, oh, Metallica, wow. Okay. Metallica famously went and got counseling, Amy. It was yep. just a train wreck, but yeah. Yeah, yep. so it is important for you all and everybody in the relationship to have their own thing and their own identity yeah. and to not just collapse their entire life and their entire world with who they're in relationship with. Yeah. 
like John, I was like, you got to get out of my office and go get your own studio in the That's basement. Right. Yeah, I can't. I, I can only offer so much medical advice before <laughs> it becomes but, dangerous. But if it is like a marriage, then you're basically encouraging people to sleep around, right? Is that <laughs> yes, it's an open marriage is what we're trying to say. So yes, there, that is is a what little, it... there is a little tension there. It's like you can see how the uh, yeah. like, you you I gave you all this. Now you're taking it away from here. Um, but well, it's, it's, you have to work at it. I think if you do it, then you get used to it and then it's fine. It's not a problem, but. But is the problem too with songs uh, is, I would imagine that comes up like you had, you know, the, oh God, I hate to bring up Oasis, but, uh, what's his name saying, man, what, what the fuck was I doing giving the band Wonderwall? I could have just, I could have just <laughs> played that and <laughs> made all my money on my own. That's, my, that's now, where he's confused. Cause he couldn't have. He couldn't have done it. If right. he put the song that out with by just himself, it would have sold yep. one-tenth as many copies, and then he would have made half as much as he made by sharing it with five people. I wasn't good at math. I'm not sure if that's correct. That was pretty good. <laughs> the way things end up are how they were meant to end up, right? Like, you can't, you can never go back and say, oh, I should have, could have, would have, done it. You know, oh, it yeah. wouldn't have been. It, it, it wouldn't have been the same band. It wouldn't have been the same song. It wouldn't have been the same without all the ingredients. With, and without, without those whatever. two brothers fighting each other. That's right. <laughs> without that tension. Alchemy. I was like, I, I'll, I'll, you know, it's hard now what, what you do about this. So, like, I love the Smiths. But, you know, you know, it's hard now, but we interviewed Johnny Marr on this podcast. Just, just great conversation with talk about doing side projects. You know, he was like, oh, I just finished this James Bond theme. And and he just posted his, uh, his Oscar for winning that James Bond theme he was doing on the side and, and just all the side projects. But it's, it's troublesome. Did he write the Billie Eilish? He did Billie Eilish? Yeah, he's, he's guitar on it. Yeah. He was part of it. Yeah. That's a good and song. when you start looking up Johnny Marr's um, appearances on songs, it's only the yeah. best songs. It's the craziest shit. It, it's yeah. it, it, he has such a he's so and I, and I know he, you know he's an amazing guitar player, but he just what he picks as well is yeah. just so brilliant. Like every band's best album's like oh Johnny Marr was there. You know he's he he was present and talking to him about longevity and trying new things and different projects was super inspiring to me. That guy seemed like I was talking to a 22 year old upstart, you know, guitar wizard, yeah. uh, who's just like ready to take on the next thing. And it's super motivating. We try to convince people here too, like, don't go down that one road. Try, that's what we tell our kids, like try everything, you know, in, in, in the music world, I had a record label. I did A&R for a while. I did poorly. You know, I couldn't do A&R. Because everything was my favorite band. I <laughs> go to I did AR for a guy named Gary Gersh, and yeah, I would I would go to Gary and and I love him and I say, hey, Gary, this is the best, my favorite band. Yeah. Man, I'm Pretty soon, every band was my favorite band. I signed. But no that's on. that's how we that's how Regan and I are. It's like it's not we're not listening to everything in the world. We're just listening to stuff we stumble onto, and then we're like, okay, you're our guys, our girls, and we're like, this is it. We're you know. And then we fall in love with you, and then we think you're amazing. That's our well, and it works. You guys put out that you guys put out that hip hop comp win. I mean, hip hop was a big deal here; uh, it still is. Um, and you were on top of that. I remember that 14 Fathoms Deep comp was like, well, that opened up a lot of eyes and ears at the time. And I, I was, you guys were on top of that. That's all gossip. Seemed like the right thing to do. It's what was happening. I mean, it it you nailed it, and nobody else was putting that out. 
Jonathan Moore was the guy that put it all together. You That's know, right. we just we knew Jonathan and he had the connections and we just said, make a let's do a let's him. do a compilation record. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, talk, talk about people we miss. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Curated that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And and then there was a Queens of the Stone Age deal. Not bad. Yeah, nothing happened with them, Not so bad. you missed that one too. That was a pretty good deal for us. <laughs> that was a band you would have fallen in love with too, John. If you had heard the Queens of the Stone Age first demo, you would have been like, yeah, yeah. I, th- this is another good one. Yep. Got it, Gary. Yeah. This is so good. <laughs> it's gold, Gary. I had uh, I had some pretty, like, like Vampire Weekend was one of those bands that we were like that close. And I, I, I if... I just couldn't get past the part where I, I didn't want them to go sign with a, a big label, though. That was my problem. I didn't trust oh. them. So if you can't trust who you're signing, that was my biggest flaw. Yeah, I don't think you should sign with us. I'm not really sure we're going to do a good job for you. If I were you. Yeah. It's not, true that the, the deals are a lot better these days. I mean, they're not the money's not as good, but at least you're not signing your life away. Exactly. You, know, you don't have to sign your life away right now, which is like, that's what we did. Mother Love Bone. I'm, it was eight, nine records where it just goes on and on. You just never could see the end of the road. It's yeah. I'm curious, what are wrong. the deals these days? It's changed so much. Yeah, like what's... 50-50. Yeah, which is unheard of back in the day. Oh, my God. 50-50 is insane. I mean, it's like... <laughs> and it seems pretty kind of normal. Now. I mean, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. 50-50 totally kind of, you know... It really so does. I think the theme of it is that in shorter deals, but there's no, nobody's giving huge advances. It's like they used to give you, you know, $250,000 that you'd pay 60 to your lawyer and then you'd split it four ways and you'd pay taxes and you got 20 grand and it'd be gone. And, you know, yeah, it was you, all these other people that were eating that fee. And now hopefully the band can generate the recording on their own. Don't need anything from us. We can spend all our efforts and money on pushing and making that stuff getting it out there that that's a win. And then there's a, then there's proceeds and the band can have that. Does the, does the label, do they get involved in the touring at all? Is there support of the touring or do you split that at all? We would be open to supporting touring. If there's a, you know, if the single's doing well and it's, there's some momentum and we really see this like, you know, sort of mutual advantage to kind of like wanting to kind of make that go. But, Ideally, you're looking for, you know, opening slots that, you know, you're going to get the band's going to get paid and they're going to sell merchandise on the road and make some money. But, you know, we're, we're a label that is going to support bands that are already sort of self-sufficient to some degree and that we're going to add on to that, you know. That's right. And ultimately, these bands are going to leave us. So we know that, you know, yes. these marriages are short lived because at some point, if we do our job well and we nurture these bands, then Universal's going to swoop in and say, mm-hmm. you know. And that's yeah, we, we want to support that tour on their own or, or, you know, touring is a thing. It's, it's there, it's a whole business that bands need to have us not be involved in really like historically. So we support them by telling everyone and bringing people to the shows and trying to talk to radio at the, in the right city at the right time. That's the kind of support we can bring to their show that they already set up because you build your business as a band, right? You start in the van and you work your way up into a bus and then a plane. And by the time you're up there, we're well, and, gone. And, and we talked about like starting to play music and, and starting to form a band. Of course you would, I'm sure tell your kids to, and, and any youngster that, to give it their best. Would you advise, like I remember being told, like start a label, 
start a label, put your friend's acts out, figure out, is this a time now? Because labels almost were just decimated um, Napster till, you know, through the Spotify here, but I'm more and more like smaller labels that are figuring out ways to support artists. Is this a time, do you think, for, for the another generation to start getting involved with that, what a record label means? I think so because people are figuring out what that you know support you know you need as a band you need a network of you need your community around you and whatever that is it's going to be your band and then you're going to you're sort of your next you know sort of level of community and and you'd want people involved in sort of distribute music distribution and marketing and and sort of strategy as part of that and what that's worth and sort of what role that plays in your sort of longer career is to be defined by the artists and that, you know, whatever the label is. So I think it's a great time for people to be involved in curating and helping bring music to life. I mean, look at KXP, look how successful you guys have become and how worldwide and like, but it's, it's about, the same personalities and the, and the love of music and then this sort of community and this sort of, I, you know, the truth. Uh, yeah. Well, and the consistency of it, like the, and, and the people know exactly that it's, that it's real and it's been around and it has some. And so if you're a label, you have to establish yourself as a place that people can kind of trust. And then you go, you go from there. So, you know, you guys are, you guys are proving it to everyone right now about how, Oh, college, indie, college. <laughs> well, University of Washington radio station can become uh, in, an influencer in the whole world. It's like, it's awesome. Yeah, we're we're doing our 50th year this year, and it's know, it's, it's fascinating it's to go back and, and remember the campus days when it was 10 watts. You had to yeah. be on the UW. I'm, yeah. I we want to. When I started, I might like you better we, if we slept together constantly. That's together. <laughs> was it? Was that the, was that the song that's, we that's were all, I remember that, and you know, I can't. <laughs> the first place i heard beastie boys so that's cool yeah and it it um my favorite story about that those 10 watts where there were it went up to like 400 when i was there i think we were like 400 or whatever it was or 4000 it's up to like thousands now but it's it's still you know because of streaming where we can be heard by everybody but we went off the air and so we didn't have we didn't have a stream then so i was just on the mic and they told me we were off the air so i just started fucking around on the air and i was I don't remember what I, I wasn't swearing. I, I couldn't do that. I didn't want to make that mistake, but I don't remember what it was. It was like my Howard Stern moment where I was just like, oh yeah, you know, I can do whatever I want. And I was going to play Pixie song the rest of the day. Yeah. And the phone starts ringing and it turns out no one turned off the little 10 watt transmitter on the top of the uh, communications building. So yeah. all these people in caps are like, dude, we can hear you. We can still <laughs> hear you. So <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I thought I was going to be fired. Um, they well, at least it was the fire. Pixies. That's kind of they, cool. Yeah, they didn't fire. Casey, you didn't fire people. You just didn't show up one day and or were asked not to do a shift anymore. So, yeah, I, I think your your Steve Turner advice, Stone, stays true. You know, try things. You know, just don't take it so seriously and don't take yourself so seriously. And you yeah. may find a new way to do this, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and embrace the sort of neglected, sort of outcast, anything that's like, you know, obscure and n- neglected and, and bring it back to life. You know, find something, be, be obscure. Yeah. All the tools are there now for anyone to start a, a label, though, to your first question. Yeah. There's so much access and 
And recording costs are just so, it's so easy to record now. It's like. Yeah. And you may find those hidden gems like you guys released from 1982 or what we did back in the day when, and there's, there's things out there, man, or the, you know, we got, we sort of reintroduced Bam Bam to the world um, in the last year or two. And people didn't realize just how incredibly great that band was and influential. uh, And a lot of people didn't know about them. So yes, that is our advice to all of you. And you're breaking fires, which is amazing. Yeah, it's that's great. right. And Regan's going to be that's thankful right. when he's in his <laughs> fires mansion. <laughs> well, I'm I'm really excited that you guys have started Loose Groove up again. I recommend everybody uh, checking out your roster because there's so many good things there. The Brittany Davis, she's amazing. Um, this painted shield, we didn't barely even talked about a stone little side project. Um, do you have time for that? Do you like? Can you can you tour band when you're in another we're gonna, I think we're playing Ohana. Painted Shield's first show, I think, oh. will be Ohana, second Ohana week. It's not bad. If all works yeah. out. So, yeah, we're going to just jump right into it. So, <laughs> But Brittany Davis, I should say, Brittany's going to be on Tiny Desk NPR tomorrow. Oh. Next day. Uh, sweet. Regan, can you tell me what that is? It's freaking incredible. It's like they, they recorded last two weeks ago or whatever. Um, this band is unbelievable. Um, so yeah. you've got to check it out. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah, she's got a pretty good band too. <laughs> yeah. Regan, anything else we should know about the label before we go? Um, no, I just look for Tiger Cub. That's my hint. Well, we and we signed a we signed a, a just recently signed a band called James and the Cold Gun based on hearing them on I, maybe your show. Yeah, that's a they're English yep. UK. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, this song is freaking rocking, and then I mentioned it to Billie Jean, and she contacted, and they're like. We want to do a deal. And we're like, okay, let's do it. And uh, they're going to tear it up. Yeah, that's a great song. That's, that's good UK, for you guys. And Brittany Davis and Painted Tree. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you don't have to be in one genre. Yeah. You know that. Never have. All seen. right. Stone Regan, thank you for spending some thank time with so us today. Much. Amy, thank you too for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thank it's you. Great. I appreciate it. See you guys. and Regan Hagar and the team over at Loose Groove Records for spending some time with us. It's always a pleasure to talk to Stone, and it was good to catch up with Regan as well. Those guys, man, the stories they could tell. They've been around this music scene for a long, long time. And the kindest, nicest, generous people. Yeah, like the excitement that they showed for, uh, if you could see their faces, uh, we probably should start posting these, these interviews, but <laughs> if you could see it, yeah, it was the, just like, visuals, Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Stone was like a kid. He's just like, yeah, this would be great. And he's just excited. I just, it's infectious. And again, they're doing it differently. And it's something we've talked about a lot in this podcast. So I just want to 
thank all of them for uh, helping us put together. Big thank you to our Ruinous Media friends as well. Joe, Pat, Chris, and Jay. I want to remind everybody to go to the Doctor and the DJ online to get more information about what we're doing. Follow us on Instagram. We're very active there, the Doctor and the DJ. You can also follow us individually, DJ John Richards. And Craft and Clinic. And uh, what else? What else we got? We got one more song we want to get to here. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. This is, uh, it was hard to pick because there's so many things coming out on the Loose Groove record label. And uh, again, look those guys up. They, there's some amazing music coming out. And uh, as a guy who owned an indie label for a while, I'm just, I'm always just excited for people to be releasing music. I'm telling you, I mentioned in an interview, I think, but that moment you see something physically in your hand, it could be vinyl or even CDs still, um, even online, but really that like physical, tangible music. And you know, you had just a small part that maybe it wouldn't be out in the universe if you hadn't been involved is why you have a record label. So I hope they get that feeling. I sense they still get that feeling, those guys. Uh, so we are going to be uh, featuring this song from Tiger Cub. And uh, they're a UK trio. They are having their first ever North American tour. New music being released right now. So enjoy it. And we'll see you next time on the Doctor and the DJ podcast. Remember, you are not alone. <laughs> 